You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this afternoon. We turn to two places in the Gospel according to Matthew. We begin then our reading with Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, ending at verse 15. And you will notice from the context that here our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is speaking and teaching. And he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And we turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. 
And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. In our journey through the Huddleberg Catechism, we have come this afternoon to Lord's Day 51, question and answer 126. There the church, taking the scriptures, confesses what is the fifth petition and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions nor the evil which still clings to us as we also find this evidence of thy grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, old cemeteries often tell tales. Ascribed in old tombstones, you can find all sorts of interesting facts. Facts not just about dates of birth and death. Facts not just about predeceased loved ones. And facts not just about places either. Well, sometimes one finds interesting commentaries too. Usually short, but sometimes long. Usually predictable, but sometimes rather surprising. And so it is on a tombstone in New England. On it, you will find no name, no date, no birthplace, no list of predeceased relatives. On it, you will find only one word, and the word is forgiven. In big, bold, capital letters. That's all. Just forgiven. Now, why would anyone do that? Why instruct your family to buy a tombstone and have only this one word chiseled on it? I suspect, although I don't know, that whoever ordered it wanted the world to know about this one great experience. We can only speculate that this man or this woman had done a lot of wrong in their life, but that one day he or she was confronted by the glorious grace of God's forgiveness in Christ. And that it forever changed their lives. Nothing else compared to this. To be forgiven a world of wrongs and offenses, what a relief and what a joy. It obviously changed a life and it merited exclusive mention on a tombstone. 
Yes, and beloved, it merits mention as well in the fifth petition of our Lord's Prayer here. Our Savior Jesus Christ, as you can hear from Matthew 6, is teaching his disciples and, and us how to pray, how to pray briefly, succinctly, pointedly, powerfully. And what does he include? What does the Lord Jesus Christ all include in his prayer? Not much. Not much at all. An address and six petitions. And you and I can debate about the doxology. And that's it. That's all. Well, you know, if that's all, then each one of these petitions has to be special. And they are. They're all very special. But you know, of all of them, a good case can be made for the fact that this fifth petition may be the most special of all. The tombstone person obviously thought so. Perhaps some of you think so too. Indeed, here is a treasure. A treasure that deserves some more attention. And so I preached to you this afternoon on the theme, praying for forgiveness. We're going to ask who needs it, who gives it, and finally who enjoys it. So praying for forgiveness, who needs it, who gives it, who enjoys it. Well, beloved, you know there is, of course, a problem with treasures. The problem is that often treasures bring out the worst in people. You know, when everyone is poor and everyone's on the same equal footing, then you may not notice it. But the moment that someone gets hold of a big inheritance or a huge lottery prize or finds a heap of gold or a stash of diamonds, then the trouble starts. Then greed, jealousy, envy, and a host of other negative emotions soon come to the fore. We people don't know how to handle sudden wealth or great treasure. And you know, it's also something that is evident when it comes to spiritual treasure. Look at forgiveness. Actually, what is forgiveness but a huge, wonderful, delightful treasure? But just like we do with material treasures, so we do with spiritual treasures, we we have this nasty habit of messing them up. We devalue them. We spoil them. We take the glow off them. And how do we do that? Well, by making it all into a controversy. Take the matter of forgiveness. It's offered to us and In in no time at all, controversy begins to rage. Do we really, truly need to be forgiven? Can we be forgiven once, and is that good enough for the rest of our life? Or or do we have to be forgiven over and over again? Is this condition, this forgiveness, conditional or, or unconditional? Is it a right, or is it a privilege? The list goes on and on. Instead of enjoying this gift instantly, we first need to have a fight about it rather intensely. And that's sad. For we all need it. And we all should enjoy it. I'm sure that if we 
didn't need it, the Lord Jesus Christ would not have included it in the first place. You know, when you have only six petitions to work with, you you have to make every single one of them count. And you'll exclude everything doubtful, dubious, or disputable. You'll make every effort to include the most basic and necessary needs of all. Yes, and now the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you and I this afternoon that among those basic of all needs in this life is the need for forgiveness. And why do we need this? Why should we pray time and time again and forgive us our debts? Well, the simple reason is because we are sinners. Matthew tells us that the Lord Jesus originally taught the Lord's Prayer within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And this means that here, as it says in Matthew 5, verse 1, Jesus is busy instructing his disciples. Of course, the crowds are there and the crowds may listen in too, but fundamentally, this is a sermon for his followers, for his believers. And who are his followers and believers? Are they a cut above the rest of humanity? Are they better than the crowds? Are they the washed, sanctified, and those who are deemed to be beyond sin? No, not at all. Read Matthew 7, verse 11. It's it's very revealing. It's something that we often miss. It tells you how exactly the Lord Jesus Christ regards or views those whom he is teaching in his sermon. And he says to them and about them, in Matthew 7, verse 11, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give Good gifts to those who ask him. If you then, who are evil. See here the Savior makes no bones about the fact that he sees his followers as evil. They're still sinful. They haven't yet arrived. They're not yet perfect. They're not blameless. True, they are his disciples, but they are not yet his sinless disciples. You might say they're all works in progress. They're all being changed. They're all in process. Only the process doesn't stop and doesn't come to completion until the great day of days. And in the meantime, the Lord Jesus says what we need as long as we are in this process, is we need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. We all need to pray that God will forgive us and not hold against us any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us. That's how the Catechism summarizes it. 
And then you'll also understand, and hopefully you'll also be able to not stumble over that expression that the Catechism uses here in this context when it calls us wretched sinners. I know that when we read this question and answer, those words kind of pop out at us. I'm sure that if some of you had red markers or white markers, you would blot out those words. You consider them to be demeaning, even insulting. And you know it's that. But so we are. By nature. And by origin. And so we often show ourselves to be, even though we profess faith in Jesus Christ. For consider only this. Consider the word debts. Contrary to what some translations make of it, the Lord Jesus Christ is not teaching us in this fifth petition to pray, forgive us our transgressions. No, the original word is debts. And it needs to stay debts. But why does he opt for that particular word? Because maybe more than any other word, that particular word highlights the problem that we have here. The word debts, as one writer states, always denotes something which is owed, something which is due, something which is a duty or an obligation to give or to pay. In other words, it means a debt in the widest sense of that term. Originally, it's a word that comes from the world of trade and commerce. It has everything to do with financial debt. And so by picking up this word and deciding to use it, the Lord Jesus is is stressing the fact that we are all debtors. We all owe. We're all in the hole together. We're all in the red. But you ask in what way? In what way am I now a debtor? Well, look at God. God made you. Do you always recognize and acknowledge that? He keeps you. Do you appreciate that? He he feeds you. Are you eternally grateful? He saves you. Are you always rejoicing? He deserves your heart. Do you give it? He wants your life. Do you surrender it? He longs for your praise every day. Do you utter it? You know, when we look at how we live, even as Christians, and how we ought to live with God, we see there is this huge discrepancy between what we should give to Him and what we do or do not Give to him. Folks, when it comes to God, we are all in his debt. Painfully, seriously, deeply in debt. And you know, it doesn't stop there either. For not only are we in debt to God, we're also in debt, you can say, to one another. Husbands, do you give your wives the love that, according to God, they deserve? 
And wives, do you give your husbands the respect that is rightfully theirs? And children, do you truly honor your father and your mother as the fifth commandment says? And believers, do you give your neighbor the love that he or she has a right to? And citizens, do you give your governments the prayers and the obedience that are theirs? Well, how do you sense what the Lord Jesus Christ is getting at? Do you sense our, our indebtedness to God and our indebtedness towards our neighbor? And by the way, perhaps even do you sense your indebtedness to yourself? God made you. He's given you a wonderful body to live in. What are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you watching? Beloved, we're all debtors. All of us. Yes, and just like the national debt, so our debts keep on growing as well. And indeed, they threaten to overwhelm us, to swamp us, to to bankrupt us, and they would. They surely would. Were it not for one fact. One fact alone, and that's the fact of forgiveness. You know, listen to the ancient psalmist in Psalm 32. First, he describes what what happens to him as his debts keep on going up and up. And he says, when I kept silent about my sins and my debts, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. In short, the psalmist is saying that an indebted life It's not a pretty life. And second, he describes next that he did something about this sorry state. He says, then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions, my debts to the Lord. You see, this debtor comes clean. He faces his debt squarely, owes up to them, and tells God all about them. And the result? Third, he describes what God did in reaction. And you forgave the guilt of my sins. And you forgave. That's that's music. And those few words, there's joy, there is surprise, there is delight, and there is also blessing as a result of what he has experienced. The psalmist says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And as a result, he wants the word to get out. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you, or you may be found. Let everyone do what I've done in confessing my sin and experience what I've experienced in terms of forgiveness. And let them do it quickly while you're still hearing and listening and answering. 
You see, beloved, there is forgiveness. But then as Psalm 130 also teaches us, it is only to be found with God. Not anywhere else. Yesterday was Halloween. Terrible blot on our calendar, I think. If you opened your Vancouver Sun yesterday, you saw that Halloween is a celebration of the dead. Now, if that's not a contradiction, I don't know what a contradiction is, a celebration of the, of the dead. But you know, there's a much greater thing that happened on October the 31st, and that's the Great Reformation. And there are a great many issues connected to the Great Reformation, as you can hear over these last few days, and as you'll hear tonight if you happen to be there. But you know, forgiveness is now one of those issues. What Martin Luther and others were reacting to was this idea that the Roman Catholic Church was teaching that the church has, as it were, a monopoly on forgiveness. That you have to go to the priest, you have to go to the confessional, you, you have to go through all of the rites that the church specifies in order to finally receive absolution from your sins. Only the church has this right, they said. Now that's quite a right and quite a power. But that's not what Scripture is teaching. What Scripture teaches is that only God has the power, the right, and the privilege to forgive sins. The church doesn't have that power in and of itself. And that's why the psalmist says, but with you, There is forgiveness. Therefore, you are to be feared. And then don't take that word fear in a negative sense. Rather, see it as something healthy and wholesome, surprising and delightful. The fact that God possesses the ability to forgive and the fact that he exercises it as well is a wonder. It's a heart-stopping, eye-popping, jaw-dropping wonder. What a God. And also, what a Son. For not only does the Bible teach us about the God of all compassion and all forgiveness, but it also teaches us how it is possible for Him to be this way and to take this kind of an approach. For realize well, our God is not forgiving us because he's soft or mushy or easily swayed or influenced by us or something that we do. Now he's forgiving because he has a son. And not just any son, but a unique son, a son who was willing to come down, to take on, to stand in, to suffer, and even to die for us. 
Have you noticed how the catechism, when it goes to an explanation of the fifth petition, right away points us to Christ. For the sake of Christ's blood, it says. In other words, the blood of God's Son is covering Covering blood, paying blood, redeeming blood. It washes away what no detergent could ever wash away. It cleanses not just on the outside, but on the inside. It pays as nothing else can pay. And it alone enables God the Father to say to his children, forgiven, ransomed, redeemed. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, we read this, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Or to put it in different words, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah giving the world a fresh start by offering the forgiveness of sins. And how, you say? In Christ. God put on him the wrong who never did anything wrong so that you could be put right with God. And so, beloved, do you want forgiveness for all of your debts? Then you need to go, as the psalmist indicates, to this God in prayer. You need to own up to your transgressions and your evil, to your sins of omission and commission, to your sins against him, against your neighbor, against yourself. Give him all. Your dirty laundry. And plead with him to wash it in the blood of his son. And ask him not to impute or keep on crediting more and more sins to your account. And he will. For those who put their hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. As the psalmist says again, he himself... God himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. That's his promise to those who call on him and who confess their sins to him. In and through his son, Jesus Christ, he will forgive you. But then realize too that All of you who taste that goodness and grace of the Lord need to extend forgiveness to others. We who have been forgiven much need to be forgiving ourselves. And and you know, the Lord Jesus Christ stresses this, doesn't he? He doesn't give an added commentary on any of the petitions except this particular petition. It's the only petition, the commentary. 
It's also a petition that's highlighted by a number of parables, and one of them is the parable that we've read together in Matthew 18 about the unforgiving debtor or the unmerciful servant. And you know, of all the parables that the Lord Jesus Christ ever invented and used, it's surely one of the most dramatic and one of the most shocking. Scene one, there is this debtor, and he has this huge, huge debt. It's in the millions, and there is no possible way this man is ever going to be able to repay it. But there he is before the king, begging like a blubbering idiot. And scene two, the king has pity on him, and instead of demanding repayment, he cancels the man's whole debt. Now that must have been something. One minute you're up to your eyeballs and dead and beyond, and the next minute it's all gone, vanished, forgiven. Amazing. Scene three, the forgiven debtor leaves the throne room. He's walking on air, but then as he goes outside, he sees someone who owes him a mere pittance. And so what does he do? Does he tell him to forget it? Does he go up to him, put his arms around him, and tell of the wonderful thing that he's just experienced in the presence of the king, and that bygones be bygones? No, sir, he grabs him by the throat, and he wrestles him to the ground, and he demands every last penny. The man begs for time, but he gets no time. The forgiven debtor has him thrown into the slammer. Well, scene four unfolds and the witnesses, you can see, are distressed. They have seen great mercy. And now they have just witnessed great hardness and harshness. And they feel compelled to report the man to the king. And the result... The king calls the man on the royal carpet. He dresses him down. He reinstates his debt. He has him thrown into prison. He adds in a little torture. And the king leaves him there to rot. Not pretty. Not, and they lived happily ever after. But surely, it gets the point across, both then, as well as now. And, you know, just in case, just in case we're we're really dense about this, and and still don't get the punchline, the Lord Jesus adds these words. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Need more be said? Perhaps, and we may get around to that next time, but in the meantime, the message couldn't be clear. If you want to enjoy the forgiveness of Almighty God, And you 
need to be forgiving yourself. And is that the case with you, beloved, all of you? So often I meet with people and have to deal with people who claim God's forgiveness freely, even, I dare say, enthusiastically. But, you know, then they, they make, somehow they make this disconnect. They relish being forgiven by God but they themselves refuse, vocally, obstinately, angrily, to forgive others. Someone who has wronged them comes to them and asks them for forgiveness, and they refuse to give it. They want to punish the guy. They want to get even. They want revenge. They want their pound of flesh. There's just no way that they're going to let him or her off the hook. Are you like that? Is that your attitude? Do you leave people dangling in the land of no forgiveness? And let me warn you, do not be surprised if on the great day of the Lord, the forgiveness that you thought you had in the bag with God vanishes like a puff of smoke and he treats you like you treat your debtors. Oh, beloved, may the forgiveness, the forgiveness that God extends to you and I soften our hearts and make us forgiving to others. Because you see, that's clearly what the Lord wants in this petition. He wants the people who rejoice in His gifts and also in this splendid gift of forgiveness. And He wants them to reciprocate in kind. Forgiven much. Forgiving much. That should be our motto. And through it, God will be praised. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.